Well, this is promise number seven in our series, The Promises of God. We welcome you here this morning. We've been learning there are 8,000 promises in the Bible. There are 365 promises that God himself has made to you personally, promises he wants you, God wants you to claim, okay? We can't study all of God's promises, but we've been studying what we're calling God's great and precious seven, like the top seven list of God's promises. And this morning, promise number seven, and it's this, God promises us his place. Wow. In 2011, I had the privilege of visiting the Taj Mahal, located in Agra, Uttar Pradesh, India. You're going to see some of these pictures. With its delicate minarets, gracefully curved archways, and ice cream scoop domes, the Taj Mahal is considered one of the wonders (laughs) of the world. I'm holding the Taj Mahal right there, okay? It was built by Emperor Shah Jahan for his wife, who he dearly loved, Mumtaz Mahal. It was constructed in 1631. It took more than 22,000 people to build, including laborers, painters, stonecutters, embroidery artists, and more than 1,000 elephants. The total cost of construction then was 32 million Indian rupees. The Taj Mahal is composed of 28 varieties of semi-precious stones and takes on different coloring at different times of the day from a pinkish hue in the morning to a milky white color in the evening. Why? It was built to resemble the changing moods of the emperor's wife. Some of you are going, there are only 28? The four sides of the Taj Mahal are perfectly identical, creating an astonishing mirror image on each side. The full height is 561 feet. Those crosses are 100 feet. Picture almost six times the height of those crosses. The estimated value of the Taj Mahal today is over $1 billion. Now, an interesting and sometimes forgotten fact about the Taj Mahal is that it was not built to be the home of the wife, his wife to live in. It was actually built to be the place where his wife would be buried. It was built to be her final resting place, a mausoleum. Now watch this, as awesome as the Taj Mahal is, and with all due respect, it's a dump compared to to the place that God has promised you, heaven, okay? With all due respect, imagine if you could live your life today, regardless of your current circumstances, your health, your age, your income, your lack of income, if you could live with the full conviction that God has prepared a place for you called heaven, truly, that you have heaven promised to you, and that this place is a billion times more greater than the Taj Mahal. It's worth trillions of times more than the Taj Mahal. And the great news is you don't have to be buried there. It's where you will live forever. That's the promise that God has made to you. It's the promise of heaven. Imagine being the Apostle Paul, who actually visited heaven while on earth. 
It's talked about in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And just listen to this description. Paul says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He's speaking about himself. Paul was like, beam me up, Scotty, to heaven. He entered heaven. The only human other than Jesus that did this, you know, then. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I mean, this is a mystery to Paul how this all happened. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things that a man is not permitted to tell. You see, in the Bible, there are three heavens, okay? The first heaven is our atmosphere where the birds fly and you breathe the air. That's the first heaven. Then there's a second heaven, and that's where the solar system is, all the stars. But then whenever you read the phrase third heaven, or that's referring to paradise. Remember, Jesus has said, I've gone to prepare a place for you, right? He's creating over 2,000 years now what we're going to talk about this morning, the third heaven. And this heaven, which Paul visited, <laughs> was so awesome that Paul was not permitted to write about it for some mysterious reason. So I want to ask you a question. Have you learned, regardless of your circumstance, to claim the promise of heaven, to claim the promise of God's place? This is a profound promise that God wants you to claim. I didn't ask you if you believe in heaven. 85% of Americans believe in heaven. I'm not, this is not, do you believe in heaven? This is, have, have you learned to claim the fact that God has promised you heaven? Big difference. One is up here, the other is in your heart. And if you're a Christian and you're living your life without claiming and living in the promise of heaven, I feel for you. <laughs> you are missing out on so much. And this morning, we're going to ask and answer some questions about God's promise of heaven, and in the process, we're going to learn how to claim this promise, because when you learn to claim the promise of heaven, it changes your life, and we'll talk about that. So first question we're going to answer is this, where is the promise of God's place or heaven found? And the fact is, it's all over the Bible, but I want to give you one verse for you to memorize, and it's here in 2 Peter 3.13 on your outlines. But in keeping with his promise, his promise, this is God's promise to you, we are looking forward to a new heaven, there it is, and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Watch this. The promise of God's place is that God promises you a new heaven, a new earth, a home of righteousness for you. God is the one making the promise. He's making it to you. And that's just one scripture of many, 2 Peter 3.13. Now, this is the next question. What does the promise of God's place mean? What does that mean for me? In its most basic, rudimentary meaning, it's this. You have a home. You will never be homeless. You will always have a home, and it will be an awesome home. Maybe right now you don't have a home. Maybe you are homeless. Maybe you're living out of your car. Maybe you're renting. Maybe you wish you had a better home. God's promise to you is that he promises to you the greatest, most magnificent, most spectacular, most astounding home you could ever imagine. And, and not just a physical home, 
But the most loving father and brothers and sisters, a home filled with love, acceptance, laughter, joy, and security, and righteousness beyond what you could ever imagine. I want you to do something right now for me. I want you to picture the greatest memory you personally have in a home. The most cherished memory you have in a home. Picture that. Now multiply that by a billion, and that's what you're going to experience every day in heaven. It's the ultimate home. It's the ultimate residence. It's the ultimate love. Wow. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. It's amazing, but we're going to describe it here in a bit. It's one thing to believe the truth of heaven. It's another thing to claim the promise of heaven. How do we do that? That's really the question we want to camp on this morning. How can I learn to claim the promise of God's place? And there are four ways to claim it. And by the way, this is something you have to learn. You can go through life knowing about heaven, but you can also go through life never claiming the promise of heaven and not allowing it to transform your life. So how do you claim the promise of God's place? Four primary ways. Number one, you've got to claim your citizenship. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, look at Philippians 3, 19 to 20. Their mind is on earthly things. Now, there is speaking of unbelievers. An unbeliever's mind is on this world, right? They're on earthly things. But, contrast, our citizenship is in what? Our, speaking of Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Isn't that cool? In heaven, we're going to get a new body. Turn to your neighbor and say, you really need a new body, you know? <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? I noticed that Mike Dorn did not say that to his wife. You're a smart man, okay? Would you underline, but that is one of the realities that we will experience in heaven. Would you underline in your notes there, but our citizenship is in heaven. So I want to ask you a question about you and your identity. And you see, when you look in the mirror, okay, do you see, when you look at your reflection, a, a citizen of the United States, or do you see that you're a citizen of heaven? What do you see? Hopefully you see both, if, if that's where your citizenship on earth is. But hopefully, greater than your view of yourself in terms of your citizenship, if you're just looking at earthly things, beloved, you're missing the whole promise of heaven. You've got to start seeing yourself as a citizen of heaven. What does the Bible say? But our citizenship is in heaven. If you want to claim the promise of God's place in your heart, your mind can't be fixed only on earthly things. You've got to begin declaring to yourself when you see yourself in the mirror, in your heart, the spiritual reality and truth about your citizenship. Beloved, you're just passing through this earth. This earth is not your home. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we're aliens and strangers here. 
this is not our home. Are you kidding me? You are a citizen of heaven, past tense. You're already, you see, your salvation is so powerful, you're already a citizen of heaven. It's there, it's done, done deal. Present tense. You say, well, when did I become a citizen of heaven? Well, the Bible talks about this everywhere. John chapter one, verses 12 and 13, on your notes. Yet to all who received him, did you receive Jesus? To those who have believed in his name, did you do that? Well, he gave the rights to become children of God. Children born of not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. When you received and believed on Jesus, you were born of God. You are his child. You've been given the full right of a son or daughter of God. Your citizenship, you don't belong to this world anymore. You've been bought with a price. What does Colossians 1.13 say? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You're already, past tense, in the kingdom. You're, you're in a different kingdom. Are you going to claim that? Well, if you don't want to claim it, guess what? You're not going to be able to claim the promise of heaven. You're going to live like a second-class citizen, like you don't even belong to the family of God, and that's a shame. Uh, look what uh, Colossians 3, 2 to 3 says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How do we claim the promise of God's place, heaven? Claim your citizenship. Claim that you are a present tense, right now, citizen of heaven, which you are. That's what God has done in your life. Second way to claim the promise of God's place or heaven is this. Claim your inheritance. Now watch this. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? We're out spending our kids' inheritance. It's usually on an RV, you know, and the husband's driving down there and just, and then the wife's throwing out $10 bills, you know, out the window, and I love that bumper sticker. Now watch this. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what you will inherit? Now let me clarify. I'm not asking you, do you know what you will inherit from your parents because you are their child? I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, do you know what you will inherit from God because you are God's child? Who cares what you're going to inherit down here? I mean, you know, that's temporary. That's very insignificant. What's significant to you is what you are going to inherit from God because you are God's child. You should be absolutely caught up with that fact because that's what's true. You don't know about your earthly inheritance all that inheritance you're banking on from your parents, that could be taken away, burned up, who knows what can happen. Don't put your trust there, your faith there, your hope there. Are you kidding me? Put it where it's way secure and what has already been given to you. Some of you don't even know you have an inheritance. Of course you do if you're a Christian. Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, are you a child of God? Then guess what? Then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now watch this. Do you know what Jesus inherited? Jesus inherited the title deed of the universe. Jesus has inherited everything because of his resurrection over death and Satan. 
And guess what? The centerpiece of the universe is a kingdom called heaven. And you and I are present tense co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's how incredible it is to be a Christian. Now watch this. Some of you have never thought about yourself in this light before, and I need to explain this clearly so it's not misunderstood. Jesus is God's son. And through faith in Jesus, you also become God's son or daughter. Little s, little d. You are not, nor will you ever be, the second person of the Trinity. There is only one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But you have been given the title of son or daughter of God, little s, little d. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given that title. And because you have the title, you are a rightful and legal co-heir of all that Jesus has inherited, which is the universe, and the centerpiece of all of Jesus' inheritance is you, but it's also the kingdom, and it's also heaven. Wow. So what are we saying? We're saying this right now. You are inherently more wealthy than you could ever imagine, but some of you are walking through life like you're poor, and that breaks my heart, and it breaks God's heart because he sent his son to the cross to die and rise from the dead. You put your faith in him, and you look in the mirror, and you don't realize how special you are that you are a citizen of heaven already and you've inherited it all because you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That's amazing. You say, Taj Mahal, well, it's estimated just over $1 billion in worth. <laughs> That's a dump. You say, well, how much have I inherited? We're going to get to that this morning. We're going to go in detail in a second. Just hang on. How do I claim the promise of God's place heaven, get heaven in my heart? Well, you've got to claim your citizenship, that you're a present tense citizen of God's place heaven, and then you've got to claim your inheritance, that you're a present tense co-heir of heaven. You've got to claim those two things. Third thing is this, claim your guarantee. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know the greatest guarantee you've ever been given? I think you know it, but you probably don't know it in these exact words. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. Gospel of John. We're going to read a scripture that's very, very familiar. But, and as I read it, I want to see if you can discover the guarantee that you've been given. It's the greatest guarantee you've ever been given. And some of us need to learn to claim it. John chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's describing heaven, right? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, this is the third heaven, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The greatest guarantee that you and I have ever been given can be summarized in eight words. Jesus 
made the guarantee. Did you see it right there in the Bible? Jesus says this, I will take you to be with me. That's his promise. The greatest guarantee you could ever be given, and you've been given it, I will take you to be with me. Wow. How do we claim the promise of God's place? Claim your guarantee that Jesus promises to take you to heaven. You say, I'm not worthy, Pastor Mark. I'm not worthy to go to heaven. You're absolutely right, and neither am I. That is why we need Jesus to guarantee that he will bring us there. Without that guarantee, we're dead. Only perfect people get to heaven. Jesus is the only one that can make you perfect. And then on top of it all, he has done so, and he promises, guarantees to bring you to heaven. You've got to claim that guarantee. Claim it, claim it, shout it from the rooftops. And furthermore, Jesus can't wait to bring you to heaven. I mean, the last thing, really, one of the last prayers he prayed, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven is the great high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 24. Jesus prayed this, Father, I want those you have given me, that's you, to be with me where I am and to see my glory. I just want these children that have come to me through faith, sons and daughters, I just can't wait for them to see my glory in heaven. You want to know why I think some people, the Lord, this is just me, Okay, I'm kind of getting on a little soapbox, but why some people, I think, early, in our opinion, go to heaven? Because Jesus can't wait to see them. He just wants them there. This is what he prayed. Beloved, this life is not about this earth. It's about a kingdom. And Jesus is standing in heaven just saying, I can't wait for Wayne. I can't wait for Kathy. I want them to see my glory, the kingdom. I died for this. I didn't die for this sinful world and all the things that are happening here. I'm redeeming this world, but I can't wait. I can't wait. Mm, how do we claim the promise of heaven? Claim your guarantee. You have a present tense, absolute, trustworthy guarantee from Jesus himself that Jesus will bring you, his child, to heaven. You've got to claim that if you want to claim the promise of heaven. You claim your citizenship that you are a citizen of heaven. You claim your inheritance, that you are an heir of heaven. You claim your guarantee, that you're guaranteed to be taken to heaven by Jesus himself, and this is the best one. Claim your blueprint. Now, so what do you mean by that? Well, this is, uh, this is a blueprint of our house. We built our house. Matter of fact, I had the privilege of designing our house with an architect, and this describes to you everything about our house. I mean, you could go, the rooms, everything. My, my, you know, some of you know that before God called me into ministry, I was going to build homes. That was the thing. And God said, no, you're going to build people. <laughs> and, uh, but on top of it all, the Lord gave us the privilege of building our home. And this blueprint tells you the design of our house down to the everything. Question, have you ever looked at your blueprint? God has given you a blueprint of heaven. If you want to claim heaven, you've got to know what it looks like. How can you claim something you have no vision of? And one of the things that breaks my heart is that so many Christians have never read the blueprint. It's in Revelation 21. 
I mean, God gives us the most detailed description of heaven imaginable, and many Christians go through life without any image of heaven that's biblical. They get all sidetracked in weird books. They re- I go, why are you reading all these books and not going to the book that describes heaven? Are you calling, are following me? Now read those books later after you have a biblical understanding of what heaven's about. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation 21. We're gonna spend the rest of the morning there. Revelation 21. The whole point here, and by the way, um, in our The End series, which you can order, I preached an entire sermon, a one hour long on Revelation 21. You can get it. I can't repeat everything there. I don't have the time. But I'm going to give you the hearts of that sermon right now. A little bit different, but I'm going to give you a lot of it. I want you to have a picture of heaven by the time you leave here today. So when you picture heaven, you're going to get a biblical understanding of what it looks like. Okay? If you want to claim the promise of God's place, you need to have in your mind's eye a picture of heaven. This should not be confusing because God gives us a very detailed blueprint of it in Revelation 21. Four characteristics about heaven, God's place. Number one, it will be a new place. Don't you love the smell of a brand new car? <laughs> you just get in there and, ooh. Everywhere you go in heaven, It's going to have that smell eternally. Look at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, people will ask me, well, what's all going to be new about heaven? Go down to verse 5. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The Greek word for everything there is everything. Everything in heaven will be new, including your new bodies. Everything is going to be new about heaven. I wish I had more time to talk about that, but I don't. Look at second thing. It will be a God-filled place. What do you mean by that? Look at verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is the third heaven that Jesus has gone to prepare. It's in existence right now somewhere in space. In the second heaven, this heaven exists. Jesus has been building it for 2,000 years. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, the second heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We're going to describe it in a second. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One day the new Jerusalem that Jesus has gone to prepare is going to land where Jerusalem is right now. That's why if you can ever go to Israel, you need to go there. You need to see the location now. It's powerful. It'll blow your mind away. Talk about that in a second. We come back to the new Jerusalem. But you need to understand right now, the main point here. Heaven will be filled with God. Everything's going to revert revert back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, the Garden of Eden, God would walk with Adam and Eve. God's going to be walking with you. All extra, won't charge you for this. Turn to Revelation 22. This is just thrown in for free. But look at verses 3 to 5. No longer will there be any curse. 
All the problems we have right now are a result of the curse. One day it's going to be gone. Everything's going to be new, right? The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. We're going to see the face of God. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night in heaven. They will not need the light of a lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We're going to see the face of God. Heaven will be a God-filled place. The jewel of, watch this, your inheritance and Jesus' inheritance, watch this, is the new Jerusalem. And the jewel of the new Jerusalem is Jesus Christ. And when you see Jesus Christ, every desire, every longing, everything you've hoped for in life will be fulfilled. To see the face of Jesus in glory is everything. Heaven is not so much a place as it is a person. To see Jesus, everything that you long for is him, Christ and Christ alone. And you will bow and you will worship him and you will praise him. It's gonna be awesome. As awesome as heaven is, and we're gonna describe it, the most awesome thing about heaven is Jesus, Jesus. Can't wait to see you, Jesus. He and he alone is worthy. Oh, it will be a God-filled place. The way God created originally You are his family. He loves you. He is a good heavenly father who lavishes good gifts. You will experience that. And you will stare at his son and be in awe. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Third thing about heaven. It will be a glorified believer-filled place. That's the easiest way to say it. Guess what? It's going to be filled with glorified believers. Look at this, uh, verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. He who overcomes, that's a believer, will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers and liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Remember we said this. An unbeliever dies once physically to only die again spiritually because everyone lives forever. Every human being lives forever. And an unbeliever dies once physically, they will meet in judgment God and die again in a place called hell. Believers are only here in heaven and they will have glorified bodies. You look at the end of uh, of chapter 21, Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Believers, glorified believers. Yes, imagine a place filled with glorified believers. That's heaven and angels, of course. But David and Moses and Elijah and Esther and Jeremiah and Peter and Paul will be there along with your believing family. You'll be there if you put your faith in Jesus Christ glorified bodies. We don't have time to talk about what those are going to look like, but they're going to be awesome. C.S. Lewis said, if you saw your own self in heaven, you'd fall down before your own feet and worship you. That's how awesome you are going to be in heaven. It's going to be amazing. Okay, fourth characteristic of heaven, and this is why I think most of you have come here this morning. We're going to spend the rest of the time on this. It will be a beautiful place. Heaven will be. You say, how beautiful? Let me give you two basic characteristics about heaven that are going to form your image about what heaven looks like. And the first is this. Put on your thinking cap and your imagination. This is reality, but it defies imagination. You have to embrace, though, what the Bible teaches about heaven. So think, picture as I talk. And I'm trying to paint a picture for you 
according to the Bible. Number one, about heaven. It will contain heaven, a high, absolutely magnificent wall with 12 amazing gates in that wall surrounding the city. We're not even going to talk about the New Jerusalem right now. I want you to look at me right now. Here's the New Jerusalem. We're going to talk about it next. Around the New Jerusalem is a wall. I want you now to picture a wall around the New Jerusalem. You say, what does this wall look like? We're going to describe it right now. This is part of heaven, but it's a wall. Look at verses 9 to 14. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The bride here is not Jesus. It is the new Jerusalem, which we'll describe in a second. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain high and great and showed me the holy city. Now, John, who gives us the book of Revelation, was taken, it was a high mountain. Why was John taken there? you needed to be up on a high mountain to have perspective to see this wall because it's massive. It's mind-boggling. And you have to be far away up on a mountain like Mount Everest to see it, to get a perspective of it. And you'll understand when I described it in a second. And uh, so coming down out of heaven, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Describing the wall. It had, it had this great high wall. And what about this great high wall? How high? We'll talk. With 12 gates. Now, picture wall, 12 gates, and with the 12 angels at the gates. These are the guardians of the gates, the gatekeepers. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Some of you have been to the old city. You've seen that wall. You see the different even right now, north, south, east, west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What will this wall look like? This is a picture of the current wall, okay, around Jerusalem right now. The Turks built this in 1535. The new wall around Jerusalem, I mean, this is, this is, this is a speck of dust. It's not even that compared to the new wall which will be in this very location around the new Jerusalem. It will be absolutely stunning. You say, how stunning, Mark? Well, let's begin with the thickness of the wall, which God gives us in verse 15. The angel who talked uh, to me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out. Skip verse 16. We'll come back to that later. Verse 17, he measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick. That is 216 feet thick. Just the wall is 216 feet thick. Think two of those crosses. That's just the thickness. The height, we're not told in the Bible. Well, once you understand the height of the New Jerusalem, you'll begin to understand how tall this wall is. But you say, well, what's it going to look like? Well, look, if you would, at verse 17. He measured its wall, and the wall was made of jasper. And then all of a sudden you see, and from eight, verses 18 to 20, that this wall will be composed of 12 spectacular precious stones. So 216 feet thick. How tall? You have to imagine, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I'm going to describe to you right now every color of this wall that has 12 different types of stones. Number one, jasper, translucent crystal, clear 
glass, in substance but golden appearance. The second foundation on this wall, sapphire, a stone similar to a diamond in hardness but blue in color. Then there's chalcedony, an agate stone, sky blue, with many colors running through this. Then you have fourth, the emerald, green in color, bright green. Then sardonyx, a red and white stone, carnelian, a jewel of reddish color, chrysolite, a transparent stone, golden and green in color, beryl, sea green, topaz, yellow, green, and it's also transparent, chrysophase, a shade of green in that stone, jenketh, a violet color, the twelfth, amethyst, blue in color. In layman's terms, what are we saying here? The wall surrounding the New Jerusalem will appear as a dazzling, living rainbow of beauty and elegance and splendor. It'll be magnificent to behold. All these shades of color, brilliant. And if that weren't enough to behold, have you noticed the composition of each of the 12 gates, north, south, east, and west? We're told that in verse 21, which is hard to imagine this, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. God can do anything he wants to do. He created the universe. And for him, how tall are these pearls going to be? A single pearl. I can't wait. I want to feel like, should I bring my hammer and chisel? You know, I mean, no, it's just going to be magnificent. This is your home, beloved. This is the wall around Jerusalem. We haven't even talked about your home yet. This is what just keeps you secure. Wow. How beautiful will heaven be? It's going to contain this high, absolutely magnificent wall, 12 amazing gates inset within that wall. And that's just surrounding the city. Oh, let's go to this second characteristic. Inside the dazzling wall will be showcased the most amazing, stunning, jaw-dropping city ever created, your home, your residence is here. You say, how amazing will it be? Well, start off in verse 16. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. What's going on here? The city inside this wall is going to be, it's going to be a cube. Think of a Rubik's cube, a massive Rubik's cube. 14, we're talking about, what is, what is this? Uh, you know, this 12,000 stadia is 1,400 miles wide, deep, high. That's heaven. We're talking about your home is ginormous. It's huge, absolutely huge. God's place is amazing. That's the distance from the border of Mexico to Canada, south to north, or from the Bay Area, your home, to San Antonio, Texas. That's just the foundation, the base, okay? The base of the New Jerusalem alone, which will land right there, where Jerusalem is now, the base alone is 2.25 million square miles. The ground floor alone would provide enough space for more people than who have ever lived in all of history, one-third of an acre per person on just the ground floor. 
If, so, if each story was a generous, going up now, if each story was a generous 12 feet high, the city would have over 600,000 stories. Can you imagine that elevator? <laughs> Can you imagine if you got the high rise, man? Wade, you're up there. I need to go to 500,027. That's my floor. I don't know. You know, this is crazy. 1,400 miles high. Now, in those 600,000, okay, stories, if there were, say, 20 billion residents, each person would have one cubic mile of space. You know, Jesus said in John 14, too, in my Father's house are many rooms. <laughs> Is that the understatement, you know, of the Bible or what? And then that's why the King James Version says there are many mansions in heaven. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And by the way, did I tell you, if this is not most amazing enough, that the whole thing, all 1,400 miles is made of pure gold, pure as glass gold, a grade we know nothing about on earth. You say, where's that out? Well, it's found in verse 18, just so we make sure we read it. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. It's also talked about in verse 21. The great city was of pure gold like transparent gra gra glass. It says the great street of the city. So you're walking on the streets of gold. That's heaven. How do you claim the promise of God's place? You gotta claim your blueprint. You gotta have in your mind's eye a picture of what God says heaven is. Yeah, it's that mind-boggling. It has this massive wall, 214 feet wide, made of these 12 different stones with 12 gates in it that's circling just the city itself. And then on top of that, 1,400 miles straight up a cube that just is unbelievable in beauty, spectacular to behold. You gotta have in your mind's eye, that is how awesome your home is. This is your home. This is the promise of God. Wow. How do we claim the promise of heaven? Claim your citizenship. Boy, if some of you are just thinking you're only a citizen of this world, you got to change gears. You are a citizen of heaven. You got to claim also your inheritance. You're a co-heir with Jesus of this, the jewel, heaven itself. Claim your guarantee. Jesus has promised you because of your faith in him, he's gonna bring you here to this place. And then claim the blueprint. Claim in your mind's eye what God has revealed to us about your new home, that God has taken the time, an entire chapter in the book of Revelation, just so you will not forget, so you have burned into your mind what heaven is. And it's amazing to behold and to think about. Here's a discussion question. Kick it around. Of the four ways to claim the promise of God's place, which one do you most need to embrace? Talk about that at your tables. Go for it. Okay, final question on your outlines to wrap up our entire series is this. What is the primary benefit given to the person who claims the promise of God's place? I mean, if you start as a Christian 
to work through these four things, really seeing the promise of heaven in your heart, not just like in your mind, but it really becomes part of your being, how are you gonna benefit? Huge. Let me give it to you in two words. This is the benefit that the Bible teaches. You will be forward-looking. Say, what do you mean by that? This is the only, Christians are the only people I know who are like this. As a matter of fact, I can't imagine going through life without being forward-looking. But you see, if you don't have the promise of heaven in your heart, you, you don't have, you're not looking forward. You're living for this world, and this world is messed up. And therefore, if your hope is in this world, you're gonna be messed up. That's just where it goes. But if you have your hope in heaven, you'll be a forward-looking person. I mean, how awesome to be a person who lives their life looking forward to the future, looking forward to what lies ahead. See, we are the ones who can look forward to the rapture. We are the ones that can look forward. Watch this. It may even sound a little bit morbid. We can look forward to our death. I mean, how terrible to go through life in total fear of death. One out of one people die. You're going to die. And and you're going to be afraid of that or all consumed? Why? You don't have to if you start claiming the promise of heaven. One out of one people die. For the Christian, you see, our next breath after physical death is the promise of God's glory in heaven. Are you kidding me? If you have that in your mind and in your hearts, you have nothing to fear. Christians don't die. This right here will die. Some of you are saying, hallelujah. (laughs) I say the same thing, hallelujah. But the spirit, the eternal part of Mark will never die. And the same thing is true with you. You belong to Jesus. He's bringing you, the real you, to heaven. Wow. Yeah, what does the Bible say here? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, praise God. What does the Bible say? 2 Peter 3.13. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward. Would you underline looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness? Now, I want to be honest with you. Um, I'm not really looking forward to getting super old. Are you following me? I mean, I'm 52 right now. I know I look 32, but you know, <laughs> at 52, I'm like, this is getting kind of tough sometimes, you know, just with certain, th- some of you are like, oh, you're, wait, brother, wait, brother. You're a teenager in my book still, you know, I mean. But I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, Billy Graham has written a book called Nearing Home, and he begins the book this way. He says, old age is not for sissies. And right when I read that, I went, he's got my attention. Great book to read, by the way. But I'll be honest with you, really honest with you, I am absolutely, totally and completely looking forward to going to heaven. Some of you go, Mark, you go on these missions trips to really dangerous areas. You're right. When you're in God's will, you're in the safest place you could ever be. But hey, if I die for Jesus being a martyr, if I, seriously, I'm cool. I'm totally fine with it. As a matter of fact, that would be an honor if that would be God's will for my life. I'm going to heaven. 
Heaven is not just some ethereal, you know, concept out there. No, it's in my heart. Want to know why? Because I claim the promise. Because I know my citizenship. I know my inheritance. I know my guarantee. And I got my blueprint, brother. And this blueprint of my place, it don't even compare to what God has prepared for me. And the same is true for you. Have you learned to claim that? I pray you have. I really do. Because guess what? You can be a forward-looking Christian. And this world is desperate for forward-looking Christians. That was the Apostle Paul. Remember what Paul said? It's in your notes, Philippians 1.23. I desire to depart with and be with Christ, which is better by far. Hey, you know what's better by far? Can't wait to go to heaven. I'm not saying I don't love right now the life God's given me. I love it like crazy. But I compare the two. There's no comparison. I can't wait to go to heaven. And I, I believe you're the same with me. If you're learning to claim this promise, the alternative, beloved, is you will not be forward-looking at all. Your life will be like this. Or it can be like this. We may have saved the most precious promise for last. Thanks for being with us in this series. To God be the glory that he promises us this great and precious promise of his place. Let's pray.